But Ezra chapter 4, this is a uh, very important passage that uh, people pay attention to it. You will hear preaching from Ezra 4, but you don't usually hear preaching that actually takes the time to discuss the historical significance of what's going on. And then also to see just how it plays into future things in the Bible. For example, um, the Samaritans. When we, uh, we are kind of introduced to the Samaritans by that name in the New Testament. And what do we know about the Samaritans? Well, you know, we know that the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. But that feud, you could say, this go, it goes back several hundred years. And right here in Ezra 4, we are about to see what kind of kicked off that epic feud between these two groups. And so, let's uh, go through the story and we're going to see kind of the origin. We're going to learn about the origin of the Samaritans. So, it says in Ezra 4.1, Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. And I want, I want to point out, first off, that uh, and I want everybody to make a mental note that, again, these are Jews, not Israel. This is Jews, not Israel. Don't forget that. Israel is still in captivity during this time. Judah and the Jews have been restored, but Israel has not been restored yet. So it's important that you understand that little fact. It'll play in later. But verse 2 says, Then came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. Okay, so right here, you have, I'm telling you, every Baptist preacher has probably preached a sermon from Ezra chapter 4 and just talked about infiltrators. They've talked about, you know, uh, you know, they'll use this to teach against ecumenicalism, teaming up with false religions. And typically, the principles that people will teach you know, the application that they're using is typically good and may, may be appropriate, but at the same time, too, let's make sure we get the interpretation. Always remember, you got to have interpretation. That comes before application. And Ezra and Nehemiah, people always preach application from that. And I'm not even saying that's wrong, but interpretation is actually more important and you never hear interpretation of these passages and it's important that we understand what's going on because these people here they are about to become enemies they're not really enemies yet Israel's just or Judah has just been back in the land a short time they're doing this work in the temple and now we've got a group of people coming along saying hey we want to help you now that sounds like a good thing doesn't it that you know getting help isn't that isn't that good isn't this a wonderful thing you know other people from the land there wanting to help the Jews in their worship. And notice how they said, we do sacrifice in Him. They said, we sacrifice to God. We've been doing this since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us, brought us up hither. So let's do a little history lesson here. Second Kings chapter 16 and verse 2 says, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God like David his father. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Razan, king of Syria, 
And Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. And at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drave the Jews from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. Now, this passage is very significant here. For one, this is the first time the word Jews is used in the Bible. And guess who's fighting the Jews? Israel is fighting the Jews. So who's the bad guy in this situation? Well, Israel was the bad guy. Not only was Israel fighting against the Jews, they were doing it with Syria. And I think it was, I can't remember if it was Wednesday. No, it wasn't Wednesday. Maybe it was last week. We talked about how, um, oh no, it was on my podcast. I do so much preaching and teaching, I lose, I lose track. But I showed on one of my podcasts this week how the reason God did not choose Ephraim, which was the northern kingdom of Israel, was because of this event right here where they teamed up with Syria and they came against the Jews. This is one of the reasons they got in so much trouble with God. But right here we see there's that separation between the Jews and Israel. And so the Jew is from the word, it's, it's, uh, it's from the Hebrew word Yehudi, Yehudi, that is named after Yehuda or Judah is how you would say it. And so let's jump to the next chapter in second Kings chapter 17. Notice what it says. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Also, Judah kept not the commandment of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. So Israel was cast out of God's sight, not the Jews here. And then verse 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight and he... And he, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, watch this, from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharvaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwell in the cities thereof. So a lot of stuff just happened here in this passage. Okay, Samaria now has new residents. Babylonians. People that the king of Assyria had placed there after they had conquered those cities. For some reason, I don't fully understand why, but they had Babylonians put there in that land. So, this is around 700 BC when this took place. And Ezra 4 is around 535 BC. So, 165 years later, so think about it. these Babylonians have been in Samaria for 165 years. That's a long time. And uh, they obviously would have felt like it was their land. And so what happens after these new residents settle in the land? And I preached about this a while back. I think we'll go through Joshua or Judges. I can't remember. But 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 25 says, And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Talking about the Babylonians. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Therefore, they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria now know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them and slew some of them. Um, 
or where or I'm sorry, skip lines there. The nation with Alish removed and placed in the city of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lines among them, and behold, they slay them because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there. And let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made gods of their own and put them in the house of the high places which the Samaritans had made and every nation in their city which they dwelt. So basically what we just saw right there is we're seeing a kind of a merger of two religions. The Babylonians fear God and they don't like that lions are killing them. So they decide, hey, we're going to worship God. But the thing, and, and let's even take one of the priests that we took captive and let's use him. But the problem was what they are doing here was not according to God's word. God did not accept this. This was Babylonians kind of doing their own thing while they were trying to worship the God of Israel. But they're not believing on God. They're not, they're not saved for sure. They're basically just seeing him as another God or the God of that land. Let's do these things to appease him. And so over the years, they came up with their own form of worship. And so obviously when the Jews return back to the land and they have these people come to them and say, hey, we want to worship with you. We're serving your God. They would have understood, no, you are not serving our God. You're not serving our God. In fact, if we go jump um, to John, I think it's chapter 4, uh, with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. If you remember that story, you know Jesus, uh, He showed God did not recognize their place of worship that they had. It was not acceptable. Jerusalem was where people were supposed to worship. God, even though these people, I think, in their own misguided way, were probably doing the best that they could, it was not acceptable to God. Jerusalem was where things were supposed to be. And Jerusalem was under judgment during this time. They didn't even have a temple during this time. So what the Samaritans were doing, it really was pretty much pointless. And so, but what we're about to see here in verse 3, so understand, this group, in my opinion, okay, in my opinion, I do not, well, I'm for sure that they weren't saved. I am for sure that their form of religion was wrong, that it was backwards, and that God did not recognize it. However, it is my opinion that they very well could have been sincere. I believe there's a lot of people who are in false religions who are sincere in their beliefs. Now, they will go to hell if they do not you know, come to truth, accept the truth, and believe on Christ. Doesn't matter. Sincerity does not uh, guarantee you know, you know, salvation. Okay? You can be sincere and be wrong. But I believe, and I'm going to show you too, I personally think the Jews should have given these people a chance. Now, that goes against every application sermon you've ever heard from Ezra chapter 4. Every application, you know, with all the sermons people have preached from here, making application, it would tell you, we need to stay away from these people. What we have going on here, we got the Methodists wanting to unite with the Baptists. And we ain't doing that. We ain't having none of that. We ain't doing none of that ecumenical junk. And it's like, hey, I agree we shouldn't do none of that ecumenical junk. But let's not go to Ezra 4 for that. Because so let, let me show you, and, and, and let's go through more of this story. I'm going to show you why I believe 
I believe Judah and the Jews made a mistake here. And they created a great enemy during this time. So it says, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. And let me tell you something. Nobody likes rejection. And while there is no doubt these people who wanted to help had some real problems, it is very possible that they had some sincerity and that they would have followed the lead of the Jews had the Jews led them according to God's word. And you say, no, because look at the way these people react. Well, again, you know, bad people, you know, when you treat them badly, typically react badly. But sometimes bad people, if you treat them right, if you're a light, like Israel was commanded, or Judah was commanded to be, you know, they can change. You can help them. And I believe that could have happened. Because as a result of this rejection, the Samaritans felt scorned and they went full crazy ex-girlfriend on them. And isn't that the way it goes a lot of times too? You know, once you scorn, you know, you, know, you, you have that scorn girlfriend or boyfriend, or it's even like that too in churches, you know, where people that love you or your brother one day, once they feel jilted, they go all crazy on you. And they just, you know, they won't leave you alone. They harass you. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a human nature thing. And so, uh, you know, thankfully we haven't had any of our like former members like just full on troll our church and everything we do. Like a lot of churches have had that. But that, you know, that is a common thing, you know, where just people go really psycho when they, when they feel burned. And that's kind of what these people did, you know. And sometimes too, People were treated wrong in churches, but their reaction is an overreaction and is also sinful and sometimes even more sinful. And I believe this, I believe the Samaritans messed up bad here, but it says, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So because of this rejection, they get mad and now they're working against them. They're becoming an obstacle. And it says, and they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And unfortunately, I'm having trouble confirming how much time this covered. It's really confusing understanding the, the line of kings of Persia and all that because you got like the Medes and the Persians. You have people too who have the same names. You know, and according to history, there's, there's you know, even in the Bible when it talks about Darius, most people believe it was two different Dariuses, and you've got different Artaxerxes according to history. And so I'm trying to wrap my mind around all that, but it's confusing. So I, I'm having a tough time with the timeline on here. So you kind of depend on books that just tell you and you hope their historical sources are right. But uh, it is hard. And so now it says, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So we're getting into the time of Esther, because Ahasuerus was a king during that time. And it says, And in the days of Artaxerxes wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabiel, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the, of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. And so it would appear from this passage that Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes are the same person, you know, it is, it's hard to figure out that timeline. It can get confusing. But verse 8, Rehum the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king in this sort. 
Then wrote Rehan the Chancellor, and Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of the companions, the Dinites, the Afarshites, the Tarpalites, the Afarsites, the Archivites, the Babylonians, the Susanchites, the Dehavites, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Asnapper brought over and set in the cities of Samaria, and the rest are on this side of the river at such a time. So these, uh, all these people that it just mentioned, these are the people who had been placed in that land by Asnapper is who uh, put them there. And so these are the people who would become the Samaritans. That's, that's who we're seeing here. That's really who we're being introduced to in the Bible. This is the origin of the Samaritans. This is the beginning of the feud that they had with each other. They clearly did not like each other. And it wasn't just because of the fact that, you know, you have the mixed breed Jews and, you know, with the Gentiles and all that. Even though that was a part of it, they had history. They had opposition with each other. And so, these people, and this is just kind of an interesting thought. I, I, I can't verify all of this. But these people who would become known as Samaritans were Babylonians originally. And think about this. In the first century, most of your purebred Jews were probably killed after the Jewish-Roman War, which would have made it easier for the remaining half-breed Jews to kind of take over. And in the centuries following, we have these Talmudic Jews. The Talmud became big. The Babylonian Talmud. So, you know, when you stop and think about it, uh, you know, most of the Jews that we've been hearing about after the time of Christ are, you know, these Talmudic Babylonian Jews that in reality are Samaritans. Jews mixed in with Gentiles and all that. The reality is the people that, you know, Christians are supporting and trying to lift up at best are Samaritans in, in reality. That, that's all they are. And so, again, we don't care. Okay? We don't care because all we care about is, do you, you know, do you have Jesus Christ or not? But these people that are obsessed with races, in reality, are probably, you know, at, if we want to get real biblical and technical, are supporting Samaritans. So, just, uh, just kind of keep that in mind. Who follow the Babylonian Talmud. And you can see how Babylon would have crept into all that stuff when that's where these people were originally from. So just something, you know, to, you know, these are kind of notes to kind of keep in mind and throw in some of these people's face that want to make a big deal out of races. But it says in verse 11, this is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes, the king, thy servants, the men on this side of the river, and at such a time, be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof, and join foundations. Be it known now unto the king, that if this city be builded, and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. Now because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we sent and certified the king, that search may be made in the book of the records of thy father's so shalt thou find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city and hurtful unto kings and provinces. And they have moved sedition with the same of old time for which cause was this city destroyed. We certify the king that if this city be builded again and the walls thereof set up by this means, 
Thou shalt have no portion on this side the river. And just understand, these Babylonians, they did not care about the kingdom of Artaxerxes. They just wanted to get the Jews in trouble. And that, again, I'm telling you, just jilted people. I've seen so many people who have been in churches, been a part of church, and then they get bent out of shape and they just become full-on opposition to churches. And again, sometimes it's because the church treated them bad. Sometimes it's because they handled things, they handled things wrong. And as a result, these people would rise up. They, what they did was not right. Okay? What they did was not right. David, he had wars from within his own house. And those, from like Absalom and Adonijah. But understand, all of that judgment was a result of David's sin. Those guys were wrong in what they did. Some, that's why it's church. We got to be careful how we treat people, even wicked people. You know, we got we got to be careful. We need to be just. If we're not careful, if we if we don't do things right, we can end up creating just hostilities to where, and enemies that we just don't need that aren't necessary. And so I believe is if we will remain righteous in how we handle everything, then you know the Lord can just take care of all our enemies and He could fight all our enemies. But I believe it's my it is my belief that Israel or, Ju- or Judah created an enemy here that they didn't need to create. And I'm going to show you from the Scriptures why that is. Because again, any Baptist preacher that's ever preached from Ezra will blow his top if he hears me say that. Because of his application he has made. Not because of my interpretation, because of application. Because that's all most Baptists preach from anything in the Bible. So verse 17 says, Then sent the king an answer unto Rehem the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwelt in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river, peace, and at such a time. The letter which he sent unto us had been plainly read before me. And I command, and search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, that the rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and told tribute and custom was paid unto them. And you know what? This is coming back. This thing where they were letting people be under tribute, they weren't supposed to do that. God told them, do not let these people live among you. But they didn't want to utterly drive them out. They didn't want to fight that battle. So they let them, you know, once they kind of dominated them, they let them pay tribute to them. And so as a result of that, when these other nations like, hey, they used to do the same thing to other people in their land. They use that against them in the future. So this, you know, this is kind of another one of their sins that they did against God where they didn't completely follow the Lord that's causing them to have consequences years later. But it says, uh, Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. And so it was true. At one time, Israel was a powerful nation and it was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, and, and, they, and the Babylonians knew this would put fear in the king's heart. So he said, Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehem and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. 
And according to commentaries, I can't find this in the Scripture, but the work ceased for seven years. Seven years they didn't do any work. Now, <clears throat> to close this out though, let's see if my claim is legit that the Samaritans should have let, or that the Jews should have let the Samaritans help. Okay? Now, go ahead and turn over to Ezekiel chapter 47. Because let's make sure, let's think about the Bible chronologically. Okay? I know we're in Ezra, but if we go to Ezekiel, we're actually before Ezra in our timeline. Okay? In Ezekiel, they, they're in the captivity and it's being prophesied that God's going to restore them to the land. And in chapters 40 through 48, these are not prophetic scriptures about something that is still to come in our future. These were prophetic scriptures that were giving instructions for the Jews when they return to the land and they rebuild the temple. God wanted them to reform some things in their temple practices. God gave them those things to do as a people. And God told them, and at some point, and we know from Daniel, after 400 and, uh, after, you know, 483 years, roughly, 490 years, that the Messiah was going to come. And he was going to come into the temple. And so they, these instructions that they were given was to, not only for what they were, the work they were supposed to do in the temple, but ultimately it was preparation for the Messiah. That's what people don't understand. Ezekiel 40 through 48, it's instructions for the temple, but more so, it was instructions for Israel to prepare for the Messiah. That's what Ezekiel 40 through 48 is all about. So, when we get to chapter 47 in verse 21, it says, So shall ye divide this land unto you according to the tribes of Israel. And it shall come to pass that ye shall divide it by a lot for an inheritance unto you and to the strangers that sojourn among you, which shall beget children among you. And they shall be unto you as born in the country among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. Strangers. You know what strangers are? Foreigners. Means non-Jews. People from other countries. If they sojourn among you, he said, let them have an inheritance among you. Let them be as one born in the land. Yeah, but what tribe are they going to be from? Because isn't that what they ask us all the time when we say we're Jews? <laughs> what tribe are you from? Isn't that what they always want to bring up? Like, like you have to descend from one of the you know, tribes to be able to claim it. But here, he's saying, no, you treat those who live there as one born in the land. But what tribe are they going to be from? God has that covered, and it shall come to pass that in what tribe the stranger sojourneth, there shall ye give him his inheritance, saith the Lord God. So you know what tribe you're from? It depends on which part of the land you live in. That's, that's how you know. That's why I claim to be from Ephraim, because too, God said that uh, Jacob prophesied that Ephraim would become a multitude of nations or a fullness of Gentiles. And because we are Gentiles and from other nations, and I've never lived among Israel, you know, I'm a part of the Ephraim inheritance. So, we're all covered. And if you need more on that, go watch uh, my podcast from Thursday, I think it was, that I did that. But God wanted His house to be a house of prayer for all nations. That was also prophesied and quoted by Jesus in the day of visitation at the time of His coming 
at the triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday. He quoted that verse. But was Israel a house of prayer for all nations then? It absolutely was not. It only was a place for the Jews. That was it. And they weren't even acceptable. They had made no preparations for the Messiah. They had not done any of the things that God wanted Him to do. So when the Messiah came and did all the things that was prophesied that He would do, none of the things happened that the prophets prophesied about because the, the, uh, the Jews did not follow their instructions. And it was stated, these things will come to pass if ye will hearken unto all these things. We have disclaimers in there. This is what will happen if you obey. And everyone reads these passages as if they obeyed. No. There's also passages that says, this is what will happen if you disobey. And guess what? Exactly what God said would happen if they disobey happened. And everybody ignores those prophecies. And they're still waiting for the good ones to come to pass. That's ridiculous. That's like expecting to find Adam and Eve still walking the earth like they ate from the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, they ate from the tree of life. They're dead. So they're not walking the earth somewhere. And that's, and, and to look for, you know, these prophecies uh, you know, being fulfilled towards Israel as if they obeyed, it would be like looking for Adam and Eve to still be walking the earth as though they ate the tree of life. No, they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so they died. Israel did not obey. They were not ready for the Messiah. They did not prepare for His coming. They didn't have any oil in their lamps. And you know what? They were destroyed. So, just like was prophesied. And we won't even go into all those prophecies. But Matthew 23, 13 says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are in or entering to go in. You know what Jesus called them out? Those who, uh, those who are wanting to go in. You're not allowing them. You're not suffering them. You're not allowing them. There were people who wanted to, who wanted to be a part of the covenant, but they're not letting them. Israel had a history of that. Jews especially had a history of shutting people out of the kingdom. And what I see in Ezra chapter 4, I see a people, strangers, sojourning among them. To, it, wouldn't these be primary candidates to do what was prophesied about in Ezekiel 47? It's like, alright, you know what? You dwell in this land, you're a part of this tribe. You're one of us as a people. And I get it. These people's practices were wrong. Okay? Now, I'm speculating here because the Jews didn't do any of these things. You say, well, they had all these problems. They had this problem. They had this problem. They had this problem. Here's what the Jews should have done. They should have said, if you want to build with us, if you want to worship with us, then you need it. One, you all need to make sure your men are circumcised. You need to destroy your places of worship and your idols that you've built in the land. You need to follow the law of God. You need to keep the feast. You need to keep the dietary restrictions. They should have put that, you know, they should have told them, you need to follow all these things. So I don't believe the Babylonians would have gone along with that. Maybe not. But then you know what would have happened? They'd have probably had a big fight and God would have seen the Jews doing what he told them to do and God would have given them victory. But you know what else could have happened too? All these Babylonians, they could have become a big help. They could have become a big blessing. They could have become a light like they were supposed to. As a result of them allowing the Babylonians and people from all nations would have seen what was going on in Israel and how the Lord was blessing and wanted to be a part of that. And you know what would have happened eventually? 
We might have seen, like in Zechariah prophesied, you'd have ten men taking hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we have heard that the Lord is with you. People are acting like that's still going to come to pass too. No, that's what would have happened if they would have obeyed God. If they, God would have poured all these blessings on them. God would have done all these wonderful things. And they would have been a light. And people from all over the world would have wanted to be a part of this. But they refused to do any of these things. And it's like we act like the, the book of Malachi isn't in the Bible, where the prophet is calling out Israel for the horrible job they're doing. God has done this miracle of restoring them to the land having the temple rebuilt, all these wonderful things. And then what are they doing? They're offering up lame sacrifices. They're robbing God in their tithes and offerings. They're not keeping the law like He said. So, you know, they're, they're so, you know, everybody just ignores all the things that Israel did wrong. They were supposed to let others be a part of the covenant. Isaiah 56.3 says, Neither let the son of the stranger that had joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord hath utterly separated me from His people. God, He wanted to break that middle wall partition down. But the Jews stopped it from happening by disobeying God's law, not following His covenant. So Jesus came and Jesus had to break down the middle wall partition so the Gentiles could get in. That's why the kingdom was taken from them. They failed in their mission and Christ started, He started His ministry with a new kingdom. And... He broke down that middle wall. It says, The Lord hath utterly separated me from His people, neither let the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the strangers that join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of My covenant, even them will I bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon Mine altar. For Mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. This is prophetic. When Jesus quoted that, He was not prophesying of something to come in the future. He was rebuking Israel because... His house was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. But they had made it into a den of thieves. They, had not, they did not have what Jesus wanted and what God wanted to be there when Jesus Christ showed up. Everyone ignores that. The Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, Yet will I gather others to Him beside those that are gathered unto Him. Folks, God has always wanted Gentiles to be a part of the covenant. But here's the thing. You've got Baptists today making application from this passage and acting like the Jews shutting these people down was just the greatest thing. And we use this you know, to preach against compromising and ecumenicalism. Listen, I'm against compromising. I'm against ecumenicalism. But I don't think we should use this passage. Because you know, the reality is, and I think most Baptists too, who are making application from this passage, you know what they would do? They would allow a Lutheran to become a part of this church if they forsake their Lutheran teachings, if they get saved, if they will get baptized by immersion. I mean, do are there any religions that we reject who come to Christ? Like, no, you're from this background. You're from this race. No, we don't do that. 
We, anybody from whatever, I mean, we've got people from all kinds of different religious backgrounds. So these things don't matter. That was God's will. That's what He wanted Israel doing back in that day, and they didn't do it. We are doing that. We, we have examples of that even here within this church. And so, you know, you know, whenever we're talking, we preach against ecumenicalism and stuff, it's because again, we're not going to mix, you know, leaven in our doctrine. You know, we're not, and you know, and the Jews definitely shouldn't have let them bring in their worship and bring in their practices that they had. But what they should have done is they should have instructed them and said, you, you absolutely can help, but are you willing to follow the law of God? Are you willing to be circumcised? Are you willing to keep the Sabbath and the feast and to take hold of that covenant and to do these things and wholly follow the Lord and, and keep these Ten Commandments? Are, are you willing to put all these things into practice? And if they would have done it, they should have brought them in. But they didn't even get them a chance. Like, you know, you have no part with us. And isn't that the attitude that we see in Jesus' day with the Jews? Boy, they, they were very self-righteous people and they weren't even going into the kingdom. And so we can all assume whatever we want about what could have happened if they would have let them help. But in spite of the results of what could have happened, I believe the right thing for the Jews to do in this situation was to instruct them on how to become one of them. And if they don't like it, then they can fight them on it. And I believe they would have won because God would have been on their side. He would have seen them try to do what He was supposed to do. But this was just a failure on their end. And, and it was wrong. And you know what? This goes into next week. I know they got told by the government to stop doing the work. They shouldn't have done that. They should have kept doing the work. And we'll see that when we go into chapter 5 next week. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and the lessons we can learn from it. I pray you'll help us to uh, always be accepting of other people, Lord, that have a desire to come to you and to follow you. And I pray that uh, you'll help us reach people from all over this world and uh, different religions and backgrounds. And I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, just help us to be that light like you always wanted. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.